Good morning again. So we've been studying Ephesians, and we will come back to Ephesians in the new year. We'll finish out that series, but during the month of December, we're focusing on a different theme each week as we just dwell on who Jesus is, his fulfillment at Christmas time. Uh, and so as we've already mentioned, the theme today is love. And so what I want to do is start back in the Old Testament to see how this is not a new thing that Jesus came up with, but an old thing. God was always about love. So if you want to follow along in the Black Bibles, we're going to be on page 74. If you have a Bible of your own, we're on uh, Exodus, Exodus chapter 34. We'll be in Exodus chapter 34 today where God reveals himself to Moses. He declares who he is. He declares his character to Moses in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 34. Um, Those of you that are uh, an old person like me may remember the 1980 song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. Anybody? Right? Um, critics panned it as musically a terrible song, but for some reason it was still a number one hit, right? Uh, it was really catchy. It was an easy uh, hook, an easy chorus to remember, looking for love in all the wrong places. And I think also, uh, universally, human beings can relate to that line, uh, that we've all looked for love in places outside of God, the source of all true love. He's the only one that really has this sustaining, steadfast, eternal perfect love that completes us, that makes us whole. And yet we look for it elsewhere. We look for it in other people. We look for it in situations and money and uh, respect and whatever these other places may be. God's the one that delivers. He's the one that is the source of true love. And that was always so. The, The story starts with a God of love and the story is clarified through Jesus as the God of love. Let's read Uh, Exodus 34, what I want to do is just read verses 6 and 7, and then we'll look at some other scriptures along the way today. So Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, just to get a little set up, Moses asked if he could see God's glory, and God responds, well, you'd be toast if you saw me full on, so I'm going to hide you in a rock, you're going to look through a crack, it's kind of like looking through the pinhole, I guess, to see the solar eclipse, I don't know if y'all have ever done that when you're kids, but he's like, I'm going to hide you in this rock. I'm going to then cover you with my hand, and then I'm going to slip by, and you'll just see like the tail end of me passing by. You'll get a glimpse of my glory. Even that is overwhelming. And now as he's doing this, God is proclaiming to Moses who he is. God is telling us and Moses, this is who I am. This is the kind of God that I am. So Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Verse 7 says, keeping steadfast love for thousands, for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Our God is a God of steadfast love and a God of justice, and today we'll try to understand how those things go together. Um, Let me pray for us, and we'll ask God to teach us this morning. God, we pray that you would teach us, that your Holy Spirit would meet us here and uncover who you are for us so that we, like Moses, could get a glimpse of your glory. God, help us to see you. We thank you that you gave us Jesus, and we pray that at this Christmas season that we'd be able to see him. And we'd be able to pass that on to others. God, help us to understand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I don't know how many of you have a two-year-old or have had a two-year-old. Maybe you've observed other two-year-olds out out in society. Uh, Maybe you've been at a grocery store and your two-year-old, probably not yours, but some other two-year-old has a temper tantrum. Uh, The parent is caring for them. The parent is providing this just beautiful environment of love and care. And the child is still throwing themselves on the floor, screaming their head off, like you're the worst person in the world. Have you ever seen that kind of thing? Like I said, I mean, it's never happened to you, but probably other people, right? Other bad kids might do that kind of thing. Well, the Bible says that, that really we are all that two-year-old. We're, that's, that's us. We're that two-year-old. We, we are, as a human race, throwing ourselves on the floor, kicking our feet and screaming because God won't give us the piece of candy right in front of our face. And we're so mad, and we feel like he doesn't love us. And God is calmly and patiently saying, I am the God of love. I created you out of love, and I'm pursuing you out of love, and I've sent Jesus for you because of my love. And God will define what love is. And so today, our goal is to look at what God says love is, because we don't really understand it very well. Because we're still that two-year-old. I mean, maybe we've moved on for some of you. You know, maybe we're three, four now, spiritually speaking. But, but we still struggle to really understand God's love for us. So, so we need to look to the scriptures to see how he reveals it. There's this great uh, Old Testament word in Exodus 34 that I just read. It's this uh, Hebrew spitting word, chesed. We talked about it in the summer when we were in Proverbs. And it's this word that captures kind of this whole bundle of concepts. It's translated steadfast love in our translation, sometimes mercy, sometimes grace, sometimes just love. And so Different translators translate it differently because it's, it's so big. It's such a rich word. It's, it's God's uh, moving towards us in his covenant, faithful, gracious love. That's who God is. That's how he reveals himself in Exodus 34, his, his chesed. And so I just wanted to read a couple of quotes from commentators, guys that are a lot smarter than me, that try to explain what chesed means, what this love means, this Old Testament word for love. Alex Motier says, Chesed, or covenant love, is combining the warmth of God's fellowship with the security of God's faithfulness. So it's both this closeness, this, this warmth, this warm, fuzzy side of God, and it's combined with the rock-solid security of his faithfulness. So Alec Motier says those two things are coming together in this word, uh, steadfast love. Franz Dalich is another old, old commentator. He says, the divine love condescending to his creatures, more especially to sinners in unmerited kindness. Is there very similar to how we would define the word grace? It's this idea that we don't deserve love, but God gives love. It's a strong love. It's a pursuing love. And so because it's not how we operate, we have to look outside of ourselves to get a picture of what this looks like. Like Moses said, show me. Let, me. let me see who you are. Let me get a vision for who you are. So the first thing that I want us to understand is that God's love is ancient. It starts in the Old Testament. It's not a new thing that starts with Jesus. It's not like Jesus appears on the scene and now all of a sudden God's love, but before he was mean and grumpy God, Old Testament God. Because that's how we often understand it. And that's how it's often taught, that God kind of changed course. But we see in Exodus, he was always a God of love. We even see back in Genesis, he created out of love. The original plan was God created us in his image and said, I want you to go and spread this love to other people. I want you to take paradise, Eden, spread it throughout the wilderness of the world. That's what human beings are supposed to do. 
and we say, I don't, I don't trust you. I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to take the fruit. I'm going to live in disobedience because I think I'm going to find more love and disobedience than I'll find in relationship of trust with you. Yet God continues to pursue us. God continues to come after us in his steadfast pursuing love. So let's read Exodus 34 again, just real quick, these two verses. Uh, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord. So this is this uh, Old Testament word, Yahweh, sometimes pronounced Jehovah. Um, It's how God uh, revealed himself to Moses earlier. He says, I am that I am. It's this idea that God will be who he is. He's this objective other, if you like the philosophical term, right? He's this he stands alone. He's self-contained. And so the idea is that God is this creator God that stands on his own and overflows with grace. And we're, we're created out of that overflow of his grace, the I am. So the I am, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, abounding, overflowing. It pours out of him. That's who he is. That's his character. And then in verse 7, it says, keeping that steadfast love for thousands of generations. It goes on and on and on. It's not, it doesn't add up mathematically. It's, it's infinite. It overflows because it was never something that was deserved by us in the first place. And religious people more than any other need to have that just beat into our brains. Because we often think, well, here I am at church and I'm putting in my time. I'm the good person and it's all those bad people out there. No, all of us are sinners that need the unmerited, abounding, overflowing grace of this gracious God who gives us grace that we don't deserve. And so he keeps his steadfast love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But, he says, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Sometimes if you just pass through that in a simple reading, you're thinking he's saying, uh, if I sinned, then my son and my grandson and my great-grandson will be punished for my sin. I mean, that's not what he's saying here. Uh, he's addressing this understanding that they had sometimes in, in religions at this time uh, that, that what forgiving sin meant was that sin was just swept under the rug. And it was like, oh, it's all over with now. God doesn't care about sin anymore. And sadly, that, that's how the gospel is preached sometimes, right? God's just not angry anymore. It's all over with the end. No, there's, there's still uh, an active anger that God has towards sin. And if you've been a victim of sin, that should be assuring to you. This is not the God that doesn't care about sin. This is a God who cares deeply about sin, cares deeply about injustice. And only the cross makes sense of that kind of God. Only the cross makes sense of a God who does care deeply about sin. He hates injustice. He hates the abuse that we've gone through. And he's gracious, and he extends forgiveness. Only in the cross can those two things come together, both love and justice. Sin is punished, and grace is extended. And so what he's saying here about the third and fourth generation, he's saying uh, it's not like as sometimes we're taught in those religions that God has visited this disaster on this community. And so then the next generation, he's not angry anymore, and you get a free pass and can do whatever you want to for a few generations because God no longer cares about sin. Because it's been punished in this disaster. That was kind of how they often thought or what was often taught in many religions in the world. And sadly, we still believe things like that today. He's saying, no, he, he always cares about sin. He forgives sin through Jesus, but that doesn't mean that he wants you to then go out and sin all the more so that grace may abound. Paul says, may it never be. God cares about sin. That's why he gave his son to absorb the wrath of our sin. So love and justice come together. 
And it comes together in Jesus, but it's always been who God is. God's always been both just and loving. He's always been a gracious, forgiving God, and he's always been a just God. And so it's important for us to look back and see the root, see the source, go back in time. Uh, any of you ever studied your uh, family tree? Anybody kind of know where you came from, where your, where your people came from, that kind of thing? It's kind of interesting to, to pursue that sometimes. Um, I think the, the miniseries Roots was born out of that, someone trying to kind of figure out where his family lineage had come from. Uh, a lot of people like to do it as a project or search on the internet. Um, I have a picture here of a family tree. I don't know that family, so we won't dwell on that picture, but it's just a random picture I found. But we have this, we have this desire to know where we came from. Um, maybe you just like to hear the story of how your parents met. Maybe if, if you were adopted, you like to hear the story of, of when you were first picked up, when they first saw you, when they first found you. We, we like to go back and know where it began. And what I, what I really want us to hear and understand is that love was not some new thing that God just came up with late in the game. It wasn't his plan B, uh, but love was his idea all around. It's, it's positioned, it's rooted in the past. It's this ancient and beautiful idea, and it comes out of the character of God. And it's so important for us to understand that, because that is what allows us then to have a foundation to move forward, to not be swayed by passing fads, to not just be talked into the next interesting thing. Oh, this Jesus thing sounds okay. Okay, oh, here's this new idea. But to understand that it's eternal, it's ancient, there's a bedrock to our faith. This has always been who God is. And it leads me to our next point because often we misunderstand that God is a God of love because we don't really understand the Old Testament. Most of you, even myself, we're not experts in ancient Near Eastern religion, right? We don't know a lot of, you know, Sumerian or Hebrew. We don't understand the culture necessarily. So we read the Old Testament, there's confusion that comes in. And so what we need to understand is that when Jesus came on the scene, Jesus was not saying, now I'm showing you something new that God never said before. Jesus was saying, I'm showing you who God is and who God has always been. So the next thing I want us to think about is that it's embodied. God's love is ancient. It was always there. And then when Jesus shows up, Jesus says, and I'm going to show you who God is. I'm going to live it out for you. Uh, you. You will see me and see the Father. Uh, we'll spend some time in John chapter 3 to look at this. Um, John 3 is on page 888 in the Black Bibles. John chapter 3. I'm going to skip around and read you a couple other quotes while you're turning there. Another quote comes from John chapter 14. Uh, when Philip is talking to Jesus, he says, Jesus, will you show us the way to the Father? And Jesus says, man, if, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen God. I, I've revealed him to you. I, I am the revelation of who God is, is what Jesus tells his people. Hebrews 1 says that this, way, Hebrews 1.3 says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Like the rays of the sun, he is the energy emanating out. He is God. He is the representation. He's the exact imprint. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. And we see this in a lot of other places. There's an interesting uh, phenomena with IKEA furniture. They don't, they don't give you written instructions, right? Because they're worried you might misunderstand. Because how many here speak Swedish? Do we have any Swedes today? No, Okay. So not common, we, you know, we have an Ikea in Austin, we go down, we buy some furniture, but we can't speak Swedish, so they give us these cartoon instructions to put the stuff together. 
And Jesus is saying that that's like who he is. He, he's the visual representation for us. And I know this illustration is a little weak because a lot of you have probably used these um, and cursed them and hate the visual illustration. So Jesus is the visual illustration in a way that works, okay? Jesus is the ultimate visual illustration. He's the one that really shows us who God is. He really helps us to get it. He really helps us to understand God's love embodied. If you can read with me, I'm going to read from John 3, starting in verse 13. Jesus says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He's talking about this weird Old Testament story in Numbers, where the people of God had rebelled and they were being killed by serpents. And God said, lift up this bronze serpent and anyone who's willing to turn from their sin and look up at this bronze serpent statue by faith, they'll be healed. Weird story. But Jesus says, I'll be lifted up in a similar way. And when people look up to me and call out to me, trust in me, they'll be healed in the same way these people were in the Old Testament. We're sinners, we're, we're rebels who are killing ourselves with our sin. And God says, if we'll just turn and look to him, we're forgiven, we're healed, we're set free. Jesus is teaching this guy, Nicodemus, who is the teacher of teachers in the Old Testament. He, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, Jesus says, you are the teacher of Israel. You know, I mean, this teaching class of people, the Pharisees, they were the kind of guys that had memorized the entire Old Testament. I mean, their whole religion was knowing all the answers. And Jesus tells them, that's not enough. You should know already who I am, but it's not enough. You need to be born again. You need to look to me to be healed. And he goes on with this famous verse then in 3.16. 3.16 is the one everybody knows. If, you're, if you know the song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places, you also remember the rainbow wig guy that would hold up the sign at football games. You all remember that one? This rainbow wig guy would hold up a sign, for those of you youngsters, He'd hold up a sign in the stands. He'd wear a rainbow wig and he'd hold up a sign that said John 3.16. And uh, so here's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus is saying, I'm the picture of God's love. Justice is coming. And in the apostolic preaching that we see in the book of Acts, we're told Jesus is coming back. Scary Jesus will return. Fire will come out of his mouth. A sword will come out of his mouth. He, he will judge the nations. So that judgment is coming. But Jesus says, I came this time to save, to be lifted up so that if people look to me by faith, they'll be healed. They'll be saved. They'll be forgiven for their rebellion and their sin. And this is the picture of God's love. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Skip down to verse 18. Verse 18 says, For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus is saying all of humanity stands condemned. We, we're all in the wilderness. We've all rebelled. It doesn't matter what kind of person you are. It doesn't matter if you're religion, religious and responsible or rebellious and, and just living the wild life. We're all condemned. We all stand condemned. It doesn't matter how good or how bad we are. We need to look to Jesus to be our salvation. We need to see him as the picture of God's love, the one who gave his life for us so that if we trust in him, we'll be redeemed. And so my question for us this morning is, 
for those of us who, who struggle to understand what love really is, for those of us human beings who we've watched all these chick flicks, we've listened to all these songs, we think love is a feeling, right? We think love is this chemistry. We think it's just this oozy, warm thing. But really, in, in the Bible, it's something you do. Love is something you do. And, and the Bible says that more than anyone, God is the one that does love. And if you want to understand how God does love, you need to look to Jesus. So you may not understand uh, Hebrew. You may not understand ancient Near Eastern cultures. You may get confused when you read the Old Testament. So I want to challenge you to, to read the Gospels. Read John. It's a pretty good one to understand. Or read Mark, one of the shorter ones. Or Matthew and Luke or longer ones. R- read the Gospels. Look at Jesus. Allow your understanding of love to be challenged uh, by the visual instructions that were given through Jesus. Because otherwise, we'll understand love based on our feelings. We'll understand love based on our circumstances. We'll understand love based on what Oprah says or what the last movie we saw tells us. We need to look to the source. And Jesus says he's the source. He's the representation of God's love. That when we look at Jesus, we'll get who God really is. Because all of us have these misunderstandings. You may think you know who God is based on some abusive past you have. You may think you know who God is based on some crazy thing some professor told you. Jesus says you'll know who God is by looking at Jesus. That's, that's when you'll understand. The last thing I want us to understand is that God's love is to be obeyed. It's, it's to be lived out. It's not just something we see in Jesus. It's not just something we know is rooted in the ancient texts in the Old Testament of who God is but it's actually then something we live out. We have a responsibility to do love as well, not just to have fond feelings for people, but to love people genuinely. Let's flip over to 1 John. Uh, it's towards the end of your Bible. 1 John chapter 4. It's page 1003 in the black Bibles that are under the chairs. We'll look at 1 John while you're turning there. I'll uh, read you a verse that's in my wedding ring. My wife and I both came from really screwed up backgrounds. And uh, you weren't supposed to laugh at that part. Um, and uh, I'm just teasing. We did. We came from kind of messed up backgrounds. And, and the assurance that we came was, you know what, we're starting with a blank slate. We don't, we don't know how to love each other. We don't really know what it's supposed to look like. And so we engraved in our rings First John 4.19. It says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. We knew that days would come when the feelings would wane, when they would get weak. But we understand that we love because he first loved us, that love is something that we do in response to a God who shows love to us. That's supernatural. I just want to appeal to you for a second. This is not my main point, but those of you who are struggling, which I know is half of you in the room, um, they're struggling hard. All of you that are married are struggling. But those of you that are really on the ropes right now, it's not about your spouse. It's about you receiving love from God and deciding that in return you'll love your spouse and love other people because God loves you. Because he showed grace to you, then we should show grace to someone else. So let's read from 1 John. 1 John, we'll start in uh, chapter 4, verse 7. 1 John 4, 7. Oh, I'm on the wrong page. It's not 1003. It's 1023. Black Bible people, if you got the Bible under the chair there. All right. 1023. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, he says, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Does that sound familiar? That's what Jesus defined as love in John 3.16. He says, God so loved the world that He sent His Son into the world. So we wouldn't die, but by faith in Him, we'd have life. And here, He's repeating the same thing. This is how love was manifest. It was shown. This is the, the cinema of love as God sending His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Verse 10 says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So again, going to what we'll see here in a minute, 1 John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us. John says it this way in verse 10, it's not love that we've loved God, but that he loved us, right? Yeah, we should love God in return, but he's, he's helping us to understand his love for us comes first. That's the fuel. That's the, that's the light that gets it going. We, we can't love God in order to get him to love us. That's a crazy maker and we'll never get there. We love because he loved us first. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the the big theological word for God pouring out his wrath on Jesus and pouring out Jesus' righteousness onto us. So he's the substitution for us. That's the big word for that propitiation. His anger has been taken away and his delight has been given to us. So we receive his delight and his anger is taken away Onto Jesus. It says in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Remember, God told Moses, if you see me, you're toast, right? So you'll see a little, a little glimpse of me. I'll proclaim who I am to you. And John is agreeing with that here, saying, yeah, no one's really seen God. I mean, really seen God. We know from John 14, Jesus says, well, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Now John is saying, well, if you've seen Christians that love God and love other people, then you've also seen God. So we obey that love and live it out, and then people see through us, just as when we read the Gospels, we see God's love through Jesus. Verse 13 says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. All right. He's trying to say it every way possible, right? He's like, I'll say it this way. I'll say it this way. I'll say it this way, okay? If you know that God loves you, then he abides in you. If you love other people because you know that God loves you, his love abides in you. If you confess who he is, if you testify to the truth about who Jesus is, then he abides in you. This is really important to, to see because we tend to divide culturally. We kind of divide up into, I'm this kind of Christian, I'm this kind of Christian, right? We've got the kinds of Christians over here who might testify to the truth. I've got doctrine, I've got truth, I study my Bible, I know the facts, and I'm going to testify that Jesus is the Son of God, right? Those kinds of Christians, but sometimes those kind of Christians don't love people. And he's saying, well, then you don't really know God. You can't know the facts about him and not love people and say that you know God. That's not loving God. There's the other kinds of Christians that say, I love people. I'm going to help people. I'm all about helping people. Jesus, son of God, I'm not so sure about that. He'd say, that's, that's not really the faith either. That's not really Jesus abiding you either. You have, to, you have to love people. You have to love God. And you have to know the facts about who he is. He's revealed to us through Jesus. 
We want to hold those things together. Truth and love, those things are important. We shouldn't let them be splintered apart as, as they have been traditionally in our culture. So he says in verse 17, by this is love perfected or matured or completed with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. So now he's talking about judgment. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. In order for you to really progress in your spiritual life, you need to understand that judgment has been poured out on Jesus and that you're not under judgment, out of judgment, under judgment, out of judgment, day to day based on your performance. But that when you perform badly, Jesus' arm is around you because you're his. And when you perform well, Jesus' arm is around you because you're his. And so then knowing that he took your judgment for you should drive your change and your growth as a follower of Christ. It's not a performance ladder that you're up a step and down a step and up a step and down a step. We want to climb steps. We want to make progress, but we do it because of what he's done for us. We love because he first loved us. And that's what it says in 1 John 4.19, the next verse. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We have to live this out in reality. Like I said, we have to testify. We have to confess the truth of who Jesus is. That's not enough. We have to live the truth of who Jesus is. We have to obey and love other people. Not perfectly, right? Well, yes, you should perfectly, but we're not going to love perfectly. We're going to pursue loving perfectly again, knowing that he loves us despite our failures to love perfectly, which is going to continue to press us forward. It's continue to empower us to be able to get up the next morning and, and try again because we know we're secure in his love, which gives us an abounding, overflowing, steadfast love for those around us. So just a, a few ways to think about this. Are, are you loving other people? We all have kind of different temperaments. One thing I would ask you is, are you loving other people uh, with the resources that God's given you, right? Like, are you helping people physically with the money you have? Are you doing things for people? Do you, do you serve people with the talents that you have in the name of Jesus? Are you loving other people with what he's given you? What about relationally? Are you loving other people relationally? Do you, do you listen to people? Are you a shoulder that people can cry on? Or if you're a man, are you giving encouragement? I guess men can let people cry on your shoulder too. Are, are, you, are you there for people? Are you cheering them on? Are you a friend? Are, are you loving people relationally? And then the final one is, are you loving people with, with the truth, like we talked about, with this testimony, with this confessing, as it says, or this testimony that Jesus is the Son of God. He, he's the answer, right? You, you don't need to be preachy. You don't need to be taking your Bible and whacking people upside the head with it but you need to speak the truth to people. You need to help them to understand the hope that we have in Jesus. Like we, have, we have the answer. It's Jesus. I don't have all the answers, but I have the answer, right? And it's, it's Jesus. He, he's the answer. He's, he's the person in which love and justice come together. Through the cross, he makes sense of the entire Old Testament. I want to conclude uh, by just reading a little section from John 14. And then we're going to sing one final song together. So if, if you'll just close your eyes for a minute while I read this, and then I'll pray.
uh, and then we'll sing our, sing our last song if, uh, if the musicians appear. We'll see. All right. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another, another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. God, we thank you that you haven't left us as orphans. We thank you that you have come to us. We thank you that you send us your spirit to cry out, Abba, Father, to know that we are loved. God, help us on the days when everything goes wrong and on the days when everything goes right to know it's not about us and about, it's about you, the God who loves us who's always been the God of love, who's always been extending that love to us. Help us to look to you as our true source of love and not to look in other places. Help us to trust in you. Help us to grow in that love uh, for those around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.